This episode is proudly brought to you by StoryWorth. All right, so I had no idea my mother-in-law actually went to college where I did so many years before to become a teacher. But thanks to StoryWorth, we're capturing all the stories and pictures in a beautiful keepsake book that we can pass on to our daughters one day. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, for a limited time, you'll save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash invisible. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash invisible. Save $10 on your first purchase. Storyworth.com slash invisible. Invisible Choir explores detailed depictions of violence and murder and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Jesus can slip up beside you and say, I can identify with you. Can you identify with Jesus here? He knows how you feel. He knows you're Lazarus. He knows what you're feeling here. What you need to do is look to the precious hand of God and say from the precious view of God Almighty, God, this is precious because of the Lazarus effect. And Jesus wants us to identify and relate now to life beyond the grave. Jesus is saying to you, I can identify with life beyond the grave. In John 14, verse 19, Jesus said, Because I live, ye shall live also. You think you're living now. What Randy's experienced now makes this life not so precious anymore. What he's experienced now is what is truly precious in the presence of God. This causes death to be swallowed up in victory. When Jesus says, because I live, ye shall live also. That's identification. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 26 tells us that our last enemy, our last enemy to be destroyed is Our last enemy to be destroyed is death. Former U.S. Marine and Gulf War veteran Randy Stone, loving father to Michael and Miranda, loyal and faithful husband to Teresa, was killed in cold blood on March 31st, 2010. The man who was always prepared for anything, to a nearly paranoid fault even, was somehow caught off guard in his Independence, Missouri insurance office suite on Wednesday afternoon. A single 40 caliber bullet fired at point-blank range through his left temple in his wife Teresa's office. He lay crumpled atop a semi-coagulated pool of blood, brain, and skull, a man defeated only in death. The only remnant of the attack was a small shell casing on the quilt-patterned commercial carpet, just a few inches away from his left foot, next to a large copy machine. His white Air Jordan tennis shoes, pristine and unblemished, were a reflection of how Randy lived. He was careful, prepared, and disciplined. How then, when he had several weapons at his disposal at any given time, a 380 pistol in his desk, a large knife in the drawer and another supposed 40 caliber Glock handgun in his briefcase had he been so callously executed in his own office space. Independence, Missouri homicide detectives had a theory about the potential motive, and it wasn't robbery or a random killing. Whoever murdered Randy Stone knew him personally, 
that much was obvious. And it was clear from the total lack of evidence suggesting that any type of struggle occurred that Randy Stone trusted this person, enough so it seemed to casually turn his back to them for just an instant. But that instant was all this individual needed to do the unthinkable. After speaking with several people who knew Randy and knew about his guns, detectives believed he had likely been killed with his own firearm, a gun that his wife Teresa insists he sold several months to a year before. But they had a lead. Randy used to take that missing handgun to Teresa's parents' rural farm in eastern Jackson County, where he would shoot target practice on a rural stretch of the property. While a forensic team was sent to search the farm for other shell casings that could potentially be matched to the one left at the crime scene, Independence, Missouri police spared no resources in launching an all-out investigation into Randy Stone's murder. Within days, there were over two dozen detectives, technicians, and others assigned the case. But besides that shell casing, there was also the note, the one that had been casually torn up and discarded in Teresa's trash can near Randy's body. The note she claimed had been written by an unknown secret admirer several years before, the one she tucked away in her pocketbook behind her dental insurance card and simply forgot about. But her story seemed strange, coming from someone who works in the insurance business themselves, that they would likely switch out that very dental insurance card annually with the updated version and never once come across that secret note, at least not until about the week before Randy was killed unless it hadn't actually been written by an unknown source several years before. See, detectives believed it had actually been written at best within the past few weeks or months, and that Teresa hadn't simply hidden it away and forgotten to throw it out. They believed she kept it a secret and intentionally held onto it, because it was important to her, and that it came from someone she clearly had some type of intimate connection or relationship with and the contents of that note gave detectives a pretty clear indication of who had likely written it, and who ultimately may have been involved in Randy's murder, and even pulled the trigger themselves. If you haven't figured this one out yet on your own, here are the contents from that torn-up letter one more time. Happy birthday, love. You are so very precious to my heart. You possess the most tender spot in my heart. I care for you more than anyone on earth, and I desire to be with you every moment of every day. Your birthday is my favorite day. I remember nine years ago telling you I had something for you in my office. It was me. I wanted to give you me. That kiss you took and then you gave me one back. I felt like it was my birthday. Now your birthday has become a sort of anniversary for me. I love this day so much and it is all about you, the most amazing woman in all the world. I love you so much. I woke up way before my alarm and all I could think about was you having a super birthday. I'm not in control of things yet, but when we are fully together, your birthdays will always be exciting, full of surprises, romantic, and all about loving you. You are the center of my world. I praise you. I adore you. I'm blessed by you. I need you. I love you. Happy birthday, young, beautiful, sexy lady. You are wonderful. A-I-E, H-P, M-M-T, G-D-B, W-L-U-A-N, L-Y-P, B-O-E, the line that had detectives most convinced that Randy Stone's murder had been pre-planned in some capacity, and that this note served as some sort of precursor to the killing, reads as follows. I'm not in control of things yet, but when we are fully together, your birthdays will always be exciting. Now, 
does that sound like something written by an anonymous, unknown, secret admirer? Yeah, we didn't think so either. And unsurprisingly, neither did homicide detectives. Because, well, they're not idiots, as Teresa would have loved to believe. In the days immediately following Randy Stone's murder, the growing investigative team closely monitored Teresa Stone's every move, because it was obvious she was hiding something. One thing they noticed early on was that unlike other grieving spouses whose husbands or wives had been killed, Teresa hadn't once called lead detective Keith Rosewarn to check up on the case or to see if they had made any progress in tracking down leads and solving her husband's murder. The police monitoring and supervision followed Teresa everywhere, including into her own husband Randy's funeral on April 6, 2010. As lead pastor David Love, a close friend and confidant to Randy Stone, stood at the front of the chapel giving an impassioned eulogy for his friend, plainclothes detectives were also in attendance, watching who Teresa interacted with very closely, because chances were Randy's murderer was in attendance as well. Only Jesus can take a sin-sick soul and prepare it for a heavenly body. I wonder what his heavenly body is like now. What I understand of Scripture will move at the speed of thought. After we go to heaven and come back with the Lord and rule here on this earth, I'm from North Carolina, and I might say, hmm, let's go to Carolina. We're there. Now, I couldn't handle that right now. God's prepared a body that this man's soul can live in forever. It'll never get sick again. I've seen him hit a nine iron. He'll hit it good next time. I think he used a nine iron for every shot, actually. Oh, everything's right now. What about you? Are you prepared to be called precious? Only Jesus can help you. Our loved one is safe in the arms of Jesus, waiting for the Lord to say something about you. Randy is in the presence of the Lord, waiting for the Lord to say something about you. What he wants the Lord to say is, they're almost home. They're coming. Oh, they're so precious. All that anticipation, all that heaven is preparing for you to arrive there. Randy went off in the military. His family stood and cried and said, bye, be careful, we'll pray you home. He left. On the other side, he did his duty. Admiral. He did his duty. And when he was coming home, people on that side said, bye-bye, Randy. We'll see you later. But you know who was on this side waiting for him to get home? His loved ones. You think they missed him as much as the, the family here missed him? Oh, when he got home, wasn't that a glorious time? Randy's home today, and only Jesus, only Jesus can take you home. Are you ready? This episode is proudly brought to you by BASE. All right, look, I admit it. My wife and I are what you might call textbook overpackers. We are definitely the ones holding up the check-in line, moving stuff around, opening bags on the floor at the last second. But with our last trip, I wanted to try something new, so I picked up the BASE Weekender Bag in Beige for my wife. Let me tell you, this thing is a definite game changer. I love it. It has so many cool features that we will never not have with us again when we hit the airport. 
This thing is made from jute canvas and vegan leather and is simply beautiful. It has a separate double zip lower compartment with sturdy metal feet where you can store shoes, hygiene products, and yes, even a full-size hairdryer. Up top, it's got a sturdy double metal zip opening, rolled in middle handles, and even a trolley pass-through pocket on the body so you can securely stack it right onto your other luggage. Base was created by actress Shay Mitchell to make sleek and affordable bags, luggage, and accessories designed to help you travel effortlessly while still looking fashionable. And if you travel a lot like we do, every piece is made to look better with miles, so you don't have to worry about it in the cargo or overhead bins. Right now, Base is offering our listeners 15% off your first purchase by visiting basetravel.com slash invisible. Go to basetravel.com slash invisible for 15% off your first purchase. That's B-E-I-S travel.com slash invisible. This episode is also proudly brought to you by EarthBreeze. All right, so I have always been curious why laundry detergent has to come in the biggest plastic jug imaginable, especially when we know that 91% of those inconvenient, awkward, heavy jugs end up in landfills and oceans. Now, I've been looking for months for a better way, one that doesn't harm our planet or marine life, and I found it by switching to EarthBreeze. So EarthBreeze actually looks like a traditional dryer sheet. But they are so much more. They're revolutionary, liquidless laundry detergent that dissolves 100% in any wash cycle, hot or cold. No measuring, no mess, and no heavy plastic jugs. All you do is toss the sheet in, it dissolves, and you still get a powerful clean. EarthBreeze is tough on stains, fights odors, and your clothes come out clean every time. Now, if you have sensitive skin like I do, their eco sheets are hypoallergenic and dermatologist tested. They've also got a scent-free option. That's just one of the reasons I love these things. But probably the most impressive thing I've noticed since switching to EarthBreeze is that it literally saves so much space in the laundry room. So not only are you saving space, you're helping to save marine life and the planet. Switch from the old-fashioned goo to something new. Right now, my listeners can subscribe to EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash invisible to get started. That's earthbreeze.com slash invisible for 40% off earthbreeze.com slash invisible. As comforting a message as Pastor Love presented Randy's grieving family, it wasn't Jesus who came to take Randy Stone home. It was an unknown assailant, someone who most likely had acquired Randy's own 40 caliber Glock handgun to do so. In the first few days and weeks after Randy was killed, the growing Independence Missouri Police Task Force assigned to investigate the case interviewed at length more than 40 people, several of them more than once. But they didn't have the so-called smoking gun, literally, without a murder weapon or more definitive evidence. Everything detectives had gathered at this point was purely speculative or circumstantial at best. But the more people detectives spoke with, people who knew Randy and Teresa personally, they began to hear quiet rumors churning, rumors from within the church community. In fact, several people were quietly whispering among themselves how Teresa didn't fit the typical grieving spouse. Her husband, after all, had just been tragically murdered, executed in her office. But instead of falling into a deep, dark hole of grief, Teresa went shopping. She said, sat there and said, you know, now it comes to me that that Teresa went out and went tanning the next day after he was killed. Got her, changed her hair, bought some new clothes, 
I guess you probably knew that. You knew all that. Mm-hmm. And so I said, now that all, you know, she really didn't care if he got shot. After Randy's murder, the gossip mill began churning among the congregants of New Hope Baptist Church. A steady rotation of people were constantly moving through the Stone family home, bringing meals and offering prayer and condolences, and just keeping Teresa and her children company in the aftermath of a truly horrific tragedy. But there was Teresa, and the days immediately following Randy's murder, apparently going out for a tan, a little shopping, and to the salon to get her hair done. This stuff doesn't necessarily mean anything. I mean, hell, she was probably just trying to ready herself for Randy's eventual funeral and burial. Any one of us might do the same. After all, they don't call it retail therapy for nothing. But the very day after Randy's murder, Teresa Stone made a phone call to Robert Davis, the farmer's insurance agency supervisor who oversaw Randy's independent branch office. She, she called um, she called early Thursday morning and, and told us about it. And, and at, at the time, I, I asked her if, if there was anything she needed me to do with the office, not, of course, thinking that, you know, it was closed up and just wasn't thinking at the time. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And um, she, she invited me to come over just because she just had no idea where to turn or what to do. So I, I went to her house um, Thursday morning and we figured out the, uh, we figured out the phones and um, I, I just, talk to her a little bit about the process of us taking care of the agency just so she knew that she didn't have to worry about that. But uh, that was the uh, that was the longest conversation I had with her. Okay. How, how was she acting? I mean, how was she, her? She was distraught. I mean, I, I, I don't know if, if, if I've ever been around someone that was more just turned upside down than, than she was at that time. And I, I feel like I'm a pretty good judge of character. And there was nothing, uh, there was nothing that seemed to me as special changed or no, no. I mean, she just, she just couldn't, um, she just almost couldn't carry on a conversation. It was just, I, I just, I felt, I felt horrible for her. So, okay. I'll be shocked if that's uh, how it shakes out. Are you, you aware know, of anyone else that we should be talking to, uh, like in the company or anything like that? Or anyone, again, I guess, um, does he confide in anyone? I mean, does he have, I mean, is there anyone that you're aware of that he might, as personal friends, do you ever talk to you and say, these are my good fam- friends of the family, I'll no, just talk to them? No, I mean, the only the only people that, that I, I really recall him talking about mm-hmm. in, in terms of uh, confiding in were, were his pastors. So, and that was uh, David Love and uh, Justin Cruz. Robert Davis has brought along a folder with him on this day, April 6th, the day of Randy Stone's funeral service. Inside are all of the various policy documents relating to Randy Stone's life insurance policies along with business contingency plans in the event he were to ever separate from farmer's insurance, either by choice or, in this case, by death. When asked later on in the evening the day of Randy's murder, Teresa explained that, though she didn't exactly know how much life insurance Randy had taken out on himself in the event of his premature or unexpected death, 
Teresa explained she knew that his own father's death had a profound impact on Randy, as it left his mother and family in a, quote, world of hurt financially. So she explained to detectives that he had likely taken out enough to take care of her and the kids. And wouldn't you know it, her lucky guess was spot on. Did he have any forms of life insurance through farmers? Yeah, yeah he did. He did. What kind of, I mean, one policy, yeah. two or three, or what were, what no, was yeah, it? Three, three policies we're, we're processing. I'm helping with the uh, claim process on those. We had, um, we, we had a $500,000 term, a $75,000 universal life, and those were both uh, personal policies that, that he owned, and, and uh, in addition, he had a $100,000 policy through the uh, group coverage, just through the farmer's benefits, so six seventy-five total, which is not as much as I would have expected for him. It's not a not a ton of money when you look at the age of the kids and mm-hmm. and uh, and the age of his wife. The agency has some value as well. We uh, we have a contract with our agents that uh, dictates that if they depart, basically for anything other than embezzlement, we we pay them a value for the agency. And uh, without giving you an exact number, right around one thirty five, one forty for the uh, for the value of the agency. So that would have been paid to him upon him leaving. Then right, right. That's correct. Yeah, had he become an independent agent, we would have uh, we, we would have paid him that value of the agency and, and had a 12-month non-compete okay. where, where he couldn't um, touch any farmer's business during that time. Between the personal life insurance policies, the farmer's fringe group policy, and the agency valuation, Teresa Stone, the assumed beneficiary listed on everything, stood to gain an estimated 810 to $815,000 if and when Randy turned up debt. And sure enough, he did. Though Teresa was distraught at the home when interacting with Robert Davis in front of her friends and family who were also present at the time, at one point she quietly asked him to join her outside on the front porch. There, he would later testify that she, quote, immediately regained her composure and started asking questions about the life insurance. Specifically, she wanted to know how long it would take before that money would be paid out. Robert Davis wasn't sure of all of the specifics at the time he first spoke with Teresa there at her home. After all, he was there more than anything to reassure her that Farmer's Insurance would help her family through the process of navigating Randy's final affairs. But after leaving the Stone family residence that day, Robert Davis began digging deeper into Randy's life insurance policies and eventually discovered that five years before, in 2005, Randy had quietly changed the primary beneficiary on all of the policies, from his wife Teresa to his children Michael and Miranda. But what would drive a husband to do such a thing, to secretly remove his beloved wife from his life insurance policies without telling her? 
When Robert Davis called Teresa to inform her of the changes, explaining that in reality, none of the money would in fact be going to her, she was, quote, shocked and in disbelief. After discovering this information, homicide detectives believed that Randy Stone knew something, something damning enough that his loyalty and trust in his wife, Teresa, had been fractured. But what? About a week after Randy's funeral on April 14, 2010, they called Teresa back in for questioning, under the guise that they were preparing to release Randy's property to her, including his clothing, shoes, and other personal effects. We're trying to get on with our lives, but it's so hard. You know, I don't even know what uh, what to say when, when I'm sitting down with somebody like, like in this situation. You know, I never dreamed I would ever be in this situation, ever. We were supposed to grow old together mm-hmm. and retire together. Well, and you had a beautiful life, and didn't you? You were married for almost 20 years, weren't you? You got two great kids. Had a good, you know, good business, and I'm sure you probably have a beautiful home. Well, all I can say is that God has just blessed us tremendously through all of our lives, mm-hmm. through getting married and our children and our church family mm-hmm. and our business. I mean, it's all because of what God has done for us. It's not because of what we've done. Mm-hmm. It's because of what God has done. We just try and be faithful to Him. Sure. And... I guess that's why I feel like that I just tried to leave everything in his hands because I know he's in control of everything. Even though I I tell my pastor, my youth pastor, I know I'm not Mm -hmm. supposed to question him, Mm -hmm. but it's so hard not to. This time, Teresa sits down with the lead detective assigned the case, Detective Keith Rosewarren, a hardened U.S. Army veteran and expert interrogator. Detective Rose Warren has served in Afghanistan, Iraq, and across the world, interrogating criminals and terrorists alike, accumulating over 21 years of military service before transitioning to civilian police work. He exchanges pleasantries with Teresa and immediately notices that though she appears to be crying, just moments after sitting down in the chair, she hasn't actually shed a single solitary tear and instead appears to be feigning her whimpers for sympathy but he plays along anyways. And you don't know, um, as far as my, as far as my business computers and stuff, I know they took all of them. Uh, they did. Now you have to remember that in this building, we don't have the equipment needed to download and examine that type of equipment. Right, right. That has to be outsourced. Right. And right now the computers are actually in possession of federal agents. Right. So they are actually doing the magic they do. Uh, and once again, kind of like the cell phone and everything else, mm-hmm. just as soon as we don't need, as soon as we don't need it any longer for any reason, I'm going to be getting on the phone and calling you and I'm going to say you can come and get, get those right now. Okay? I so I know there's, those are business computers with their personal stuff on there too that you needed to get to. There's no, just, just business stuff. Just, all my stuff was farmers now as far as Randy's. I, I mean, he had... He had all of his emails and stuff uh, going to all that stuff. So, sure. as far as I know, okay. 
We don't have any personal stuff on there. I don't have any personal stuff on it. And do you have a computer at home? Yes, I do. Is it out? I mean, is it out Yes, it is, but it crashed like a month ago. Okay. So I don't have anything on it. Okay. I have nothing on it. That That's why um, I'm asking about the computers because Randy's computer and my computer has all the farmer stuff on it. Okay. has everything on it. And see, now the district office, they have permission to pull up my stuff. Okay. Um, uh, is that a desktop or a laptop that you have at home? Is it no, it's a desktop. Desktop? Mm -hmm. um, I hadn't even thought of this, but while we're talking, I'm just throwing this out. Do you think it would be possible that we could try to recover some of that stuff that prior to the computer crashing? Just to see if it might help us, mm -hmm. might maybe, maybe be something there that might... Well, we never we never worked on our computer at home though. Here's that's that's the thing. We were never on the computer downstairs. If I was on the computer downstairs, I was either checking my bank accounts or something like that. Right. I did most of that at the office. Sure. But like if Michael called me and said he needed some money or something into his account, then I would go downstairs and treasure. We usually didn't use we only had the computer at home. If like on the weekends, if a client called our office and so we'd call and check the message and they needed something right away, we'd be at home. That we'd run downstairs and okay. pull up something or replace a vehicle or fax and proof of insurance if they needed it, which our fax never, our fax doesn't even work at home anymore. So, okay. But most of the times, if you're an agent, they usually take your word for it or the phone and say, well, just fax it to me Monday when you get in the office. Okay. So that's what we would do. So you can, if you need the computer at home, mm -hmm. that's fine. But... There really isn't anything on it. He His emails didn't come at home. His emails came to the office. All of his emails came to the office and on his cell phone. Okay. Everything. That's how he set it up, and that's how it all was. Okay. And, and you're right. There may be absolutely nothing on there, but I'm just one of those kind of guys. I want, no, find, I understand. I want to find out. No, I know, understand. And if but, there's even one thread, one sentence on an email or something mm -hmm. that might... Give us some in, you right. help us. No, I, I understand. I don't want to lose it. So. No, I understand. But if it crashed, they may not even be able well, to. Well, it, um, the motherboard has crashed three times okay. on it, and we just replaced the hard drive. When did you? Three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And Randy didn't even put anything on the computer. Okay. He didn't put anything on it because he told me uh, we were actually going to sell that computer. Mm -hmm. Detective Rose Warren informs Teresa that they now have 32 detectives working as part of a joint initiative to solve her husband Randy's murder. And considering what they already know, it was likely a veiled tactic to get her to talk. But when asked about her work computer and even the personal computer they used at home, Teresa informs Detective Rose Warren that both have mysteriously crashed several times in the past few weeks, in the days before Randy was killed and that the hard drives had either been wiped clean or replaced entirely just before his death, so that there was, quote, nothing on them. Hmm, how convenient. It's around this point where Teresa first realizes that Detective Rose Warren doesn't want access to their personal computer to see if Randy had conducted any insurance business from home, but rather that they want to see if she has left any digital footprints behind that they may actually be actively investigating her as a potential suspect in her husband's murder. Suddenly, it's all beginning to make sense to Teresa Stone. Um, let me ask you something. Um, Detective Brady, did he, did he mention anything to you about me being followed? 
he mentioned something to me. What is today, Wednesday? Mm -hmm. Was it Saturday or Sunday? It's been a while since he mentioned something. I was followed last Thursday when I took my daughter to school, and I was followed again on Monday. Okay. And my daughter was with me, and she was freaking out. Well, why don't you tell me about it? Uh, which one? Both of them? Yeah. Okay. Well, Thursday morning, um, we used to leave our house at 7.15. Mm-hmm. And how many years have I taken my daughter to school? Mm-hmm. And there's never, ever been a vehicle sitting in the driveway of the church on Lee Summer Road. That's the one Brady told me about. Yeah. That's, was that the first one? Because mm-hmm. that's the one he told me about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lost them on my way home because I took a different way home and they didn't get through the light at least them or 23rd and 291. Okay. Is that just him sitting in the, him or her or the, could you tell? It was two guys. Okay. And just them sitting in the church. Did anything else happen? Mm-mm, they just pulled out as soon as I pulled out. As soon as I pulled out at least on the road, they pulled out. Okay. And they followed me. When I changed lanes, they changed lanes. Okay. I mean, they did everything I did and they drove very slow to try to stay far enough away from me. Both the guys had sunglasses on. Mm-hmm. They were probably, I would say they're probably in their um, early 40s. Um, but when I turned on, when I turned on Little Blue Parkway to take my daughter to Tri-City, they turned the opposite direction that I turned. Okay. But when I came out of Tri, I was in Tri-City Christian School for about 30 minutes. Okay. Because um, I had to meet with her principal. And, um, but somehow they knew when I pulled out of Tri-City because they got in the same turn line. They even cut off a vehicle. Same vehicle? Same vehicle. I was in the church? Uh-huh. Teresa describes two other incidents where suspicious vehicles either followed her or came directly through her neighborhood. One in which the car parked in front of her neighbor's house and then followed her when she left after talking to her brother for about 30 minutes. Again, it was two men this time in a black car. Detective Rose Warren plays dumb and alerts Teresa that he'll have to look into whether or not someone from the investigative team has been ordered to follow her. But he also quickly reassures Teresa that this type of active monitoring is also done by insurance companies investigating large policy payouts, say when one is trying to cash in on, I don't know, seven or $800,000 in life insurance, for instance. He throws out another red herring, that it may also be someone casing her home for an eventual burglary, a redirection which Teresa seems somewhat concerned about. But she reassures Detective Rose Warren that Randy taught her how to stay situationally aware of her surroundings, so that she wouldn't become a victim herself in the aftermath of his murder. He then casually asks Teresa if she will voluntarily submit a sample of her DNA so that they could eliminate her as a potential suspect in conjunction with items left behind at the crime scene. Once again, she samples the waters a bit, see if this might be a time where she would want her attorney present. But Detective Rose Warren again reassures Teresa that this is all standard protocol, and that they already know they'll find her DNA in the office suite because, well, she works there. What he doesn't say, however, is that they are desperately trying to establish a trail of physical evidence tying her to her husband Randy's murder. I, um, um, I'm not one to, uh, not, um, um, 
what am I looking for? Uh, cooperate. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting here thinking when you walked in, I was thinking, well, but he, is this something that I would have to have my lawyer present with? Or, and I don't yeah, know why I would. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know why I would because well, I have nothing to hide. Think, so. of, think about this way. I just We know you your know. DNA is in there oh, because you work there. Right. Okay. <laughs> but when they look at a DNA, when they look at an unknown DNA, mm -hmm. DNA sample, mm -hmm. They have to be able to say, okay. They have to eliminate. Could this be Teresa's? Right. We don't know if it's Teresa's right. because we don't have our sample. I understand. So if we have a DNA sample from part of the room and it's yours, well, it's probably going to be, well, of course it's her DNA. Mm -hmm. She works right. there. She, right. Of course she would be, of course her hand might be on that desk. Right, okay. right. So all we're yeah, trying to. My hand was all over that place. <laughs> All we're trying to do is help the lab out. No, I so, understand. No, now, that's fine. But if that profile doesn't fit you, mm -hmm. and it doesn't fit Randy, because mm -hmm. we have his DNA. Right, right. And it doesn't fit Peggy. Mm -hmm. Well, then we're interested in that Then there's sample. a problem. Or maybe not even a problem. Right, it right, could be right. a customer. Well, yeah, we have clients that came in all the time. Sure. sure. I had clients that at my desk. Peggy had clients that leaned over mm -hmm. on that thing up sure. there in front. So Our mailman, our... UPS guy. Exactly. Uh, Randy had people set his ass all the time. Exactly. So, but what if that sample they run it through the system mm -hmm. and it, it hits on somebody who's sure. been in the system before? Sure. Who's already I been understand. In prison. I understand. Okay. So that yeah. would be that um, would be great if yeah. something like that. Happened. I understand, yeah. and I I'm um, I, uh, I I know my lawyer Michael Daly, and and he's he's a super. He's a great friend, and he's a client. Mm -hmm. He's a great friend, and um, he's been very good at helping me, you know, and stuff. And and um, I'm just not one to not to cooperate when I know I have absolutely nothing to hide. Mm -hmm. I was deeply in love with my husband, and I just just don't understand why someone would have taken him out of my life. Mm -hmm. I just don't understand it. I know. So, you don't, uh, um, you don't have to, to convince me. Okay, I can see that you love your husband. Oh. Want to do this hard part now? We'll go downstairs and get his property. Yeah. Teresa Stone is released with a paper evidence sack containing all of Randy's belongings, his blood and tissue stained clothing, his watch, and his bright white Nike Air Jordan tennis shoes. She leaves, likely feeling a bit relieved, thinking perhaps it isn't the police who have been following her after all. Perhaps it is a team from Farmers Insurance monitoring her movements before paying out nearly $725,000 in life insurance. Albeit, those policies she has now discovered will be paid out to her children. Though Detective Rose Warren hadn't yet confronted Teresa Stone head-on about some of the inconsistencies made during her now-to-police interviews, they were still carefully preparing their case behind the scenes, piecing together the evidence they needed before confronting her with a revelation of near-biblical proportions. They knew she was lying about nearly everything including that mysterious note. 
They just needed to develop a strategy to get her to admit it. Since they didn't yet have any demonstrable physical or definitive circumstantial evidence connecting her to Randy's murder. Detective Rose Warren called Teresa Stone back into the police department again for the third time on April 20th, 2010. And from the moment she set foot in that small, neutral gray room, the tone was noticeably different because Detective Rose Warren suggested they first advise Teresa of her rights, something they hadn't done before meaning that anything she said moving forward could and would be used against her in the court of law. Uh, let's see. Um, let's see I don't forget. We meet with the prosecutor once a week mm-hmm. to give a brief because they kind of want to know what's going on. Sure. So they're in the loop. Sure. We met with them yesterday. And let's see here. We got yelled at because... Uh-oh. They want us to start advising people of their rights until we can figure out what's going on. Oh. <laughs> everybody we talk to, they want to know why we didn't do it, and I think it's stupid. But they <laughs> How many times have I been in here? <laughs> yeah, I've been here twice, right? Okay, so, but they want us to start advising, giving these rights warnings to everybody. So anybody else that we talk to is going to have to go through this. You probably, I don't know if you watch much TV, but maybe you've probably heard of a Miranda warning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Just like, you know, you have the right to remain silent and oh. all that stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this protects you and it protects us as well. Okay. okay. Uh-huh. All right. Detective Rose Warren Mirandizes Teresa Stone, yet still maintains a relatively playful, compassionate demeanor as he embarks on what will soon become an iconic eight-hour marathon interrogation with master manipulator and liar Teresa Stone. He first asked Teresa if she was aware of any other insurance policies that Randy may have taken out. Policies of any sort, including life that she may not have disclosed previously to Detective Stewart, or that she may have learned about after his murder. Teresa explains that Randy handles all of their personal insurance policies, and that she was not aware of any other policies existing outside of those managed through Farmers Insurance, or the details surrounding the exact amount on those policies. Though Detective Rose Warren has now established through earlier interviews with Robert Davis that Teresa is lying, pretending she doesn't know that Randy's death was potentially worth just over $800,000 to her before she found out Randy had changed the beneficiaries on the policies to the children several years before. He then has her run through her entire day over again to see if she is willing to double down further and continue lying. But instead, she gives a carefully rehearsed and oddly specific recollection of events from her day precisely three weeks before on March 31st, the afternoon of Randy's murder. How long do you think you were in the doctor's office there? I mean, let's say oh, you I got was... there around two. Let's say you got there pretty much on time. How long do you think you were in there? Well, I left the office. I left the doctor's office at 214 because mm-hmm. that's when I called Randy. Okay, so 2.14 is when you call. That's kind of what I was getting to. I'm sorry. That's all right. I guess I was not listening. <laughs> okay, that's all right. Okay, so you leave, um, you leave the doctor's office, and then you go to... Oh, to Dress Barn. Dress Barn, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And... I got to Dress Barn at 2.30. Dress Barn at 2.30. Mm-hmm. And why... How long do you think you were there? Just 
I was in there 10 minutes. Okay. You, did you buy anything? No, I did not. Okay. Now, while you were at Dress Barn, did you try to call or text? I called him after I got in the car. I called him at uh, 241. Okay. Now, was that a call or a text message? No, that was a call. In office phone? Yes. Okay. And answer or no answer? No answer. Okay. If I'm wrong on this, you're going to kill me? No, no, I understand it's been a couple of weeks here. but uh, I'm just trying to think yeah. back in my head. Teresa then explains that she believes she left J.C. Penney, quote, at 4.23 p.m. Again, a very precise recollection of time. She then explains that after dropping her daughter off at the house and connecting with her parents briefly, she dropped off a business deposit at the Bank of America drive through Again, according to her recollection, she believes she then left the bank at, quote, oh, I don't know, I want to say about 4.43 it's almost as if Teresa Stone is reaffirming an already ironclad alibi. As Chandler Bing might say, could she be any more obvious? Detective Rose Warren then moves on to the real reason he has called Teresa in for questioning on this day. That note. He wants first to see if Teresa will continue the same old story about the supposed secret admirer. If she will lie about not knowing who the author of that note is. Because believe it or not... They already know who wrote it. They just need to get her to tell them on the record. Uh, I need to talk to you about something that is probably going to be a little sensitive. Okay, I'm not here to try to pry into your personal life. I'm not here to try to, you know, to make things any any messier than they have to be, and so forth. But we. We've got to talk about that note that those officers pulled out of your trash can. Oh, the little one that I wrote up? The one that was Or the tore tore up? Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Um, I need to know who wrote that note to you. I don't know. Teresa once again denies having any knowledge about who wrote the note. She even claims at one point that she hasn't even read it herself. She just squirreled it away so Randy wouldn't find it, and then a few days before his murder rediscovered it, ripped it up, and again, without ever reading it, threw it in the trash can. Yeah, if you believe that, I've got some oceanfront property to sell you in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Um, we've read it. Oh, I know. And the, the contents of the note really suggest that whoever wrote it is somebody that uh, appears to me somebody that's, you know, like infatuated with you. Yeah. And knows, and you probably know that person. Um, probably know that person. Probably well, from, realize what... From the content of the note, uh, as a matter of fact. Okay. I, I, I can't even tell you what's on it. <laughs> well, I can kind of share a little bit here with you, but... If you look some of the... Look at some of the things that are in there, Teresa, it's like... Things like, I remember nine years ago telling you, okay, uh, I had something for you in my office and it was me and that this person kissed you and that you kissed them back. And, and these, these are the kinds of things that really couldn't come from an anonymous person. Uh, it would have to be somebody that 
maybe has been pursuing you. Uh, maybe somebody that's been trying to make advances towards you and so forth. But it goes back, I mean, it goes back all the way to nine years. I remember nine years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not an anonymous note. It's somebody that... Kind of thinks. Something that, that has been going on, or like I said, maybe somebody that's... Um, you know... Yeah, like I said, we've, we've taken a pretty close look at it. So I just, I feel like... Once again, I know it's sensitive. I know it's not an area that anybody's comfortable with. But obviously, when you're talking about an investigation like this, this is really something that we cannot overlook or ignore. We have to know who's looked at note and kind of what's going on behind it. Teresa pretends to rack her brain. Geez, she hasn't been in anyone else's office ever, according to her. But Detective Rose Warren isn't buying it. So he presses on, because he knows Teresa is lying, and he has her right where he wants her. Her back against the wall. The only direction for her to turn now is toward the truth or towards an attorney. Uh, You know, you're the most amazing woman in the world. I love you so much. I woke up before my alarm, and all I could think about was you having a super birthday. Um... I admire you. You see these little... I, I don't know. Do you have I, any idea what those things are? I have no idea. Okay. I, I don't know. If it's... I, I have no idea. I honestly... I I do not... I don't I don't recognize the handwriting. What, who do you think is from? <sighs> well, <clears throat> the only person I can think of and this was before Rain and I even got married Mm -hmm. Um, I worked at a glass company and there was a guy there yeah we're going to go ahead and skip ahead here and spare you Teresa's bullshit she continues lying and seriously tries convincing Detective Rose Warren that the only person she can think of that may have written the note is a man from her past that she used to work with some 20 years earlier, before her and Randy were even married. Right, because that makes sense. And uh, I believe that if we identify who wrote that note, that doesn't mean that's the person who murdered your husband, but it certainly is a strong, very strong lead. It's something that, can, like you said, it can't be overlooked. No, so, I understand. Um, and, um, we need to know who wrote that letter to you so that that person can be questioned and identified. Now, and here's what I, I'm going to tell you this up front, too. Like I said, I know that these are sensitive areas, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, all I can do is I can promise you that whoever wrote this, this letter, we prom- I promise you that when we question him, it will be done discreetly, and, uh, and I'll do it myself, all right? We're not going to, like I said, if this is somebody from your church or something like that, we're not going to make a big deal and, you know, put it on a neon sign or anything like that. If there was something going on that that you may be embarrassed about or this person may be embarrassed about, I said I will handle it myself and we'll do it discreetly. Well, I can tell you one thing. I've never cheated on my husband. I can tell you that right now. 
I was faithful to him till the day he died. Detective Rose Warren asked Teresa how Randy knew about that incident that took place between her and the Kansas City police officer. The one where he allegedly forced himself on her in the basement. Teresa explains that the week before Randy was killed, she had confided in Pastor David Love from church about her interaction with the other man, that she sought his counsel about how to appropriately talk to her husband about what had happened. But instead of counseling Teresa to talk to Randy, Pastor David Love, on March 17th, St. Patty's Day, showed up unannounced with his wife Kim at the Randy Stone Insurance Agency office suite and confronted Randy and Teresa directly, telling him about Teresa's so-called transgressions. Not exactly something one expects their pastor to do as part of a spiritual counseling session, But then again, Pastor David Love, or Brother Love as his congregants referred to him, was different. He was a younger pastor, a maverick, if you will. So, though the move appeared confrontational, it made sense. But Teresa revealed to Detective Rose Warren that something else may have triggered Pastor Love to confront them at the office that afternoon. Randy had written him a lengthy email the evening before on March 16th explaining that he and his family were leaving the church and moving on. See, Randy served as the minister of records on the New Hope Baptist Church staff. He had been put in charge of church finances, naturally, as he was a successful businessman and was good at financial reporting. But over the past several years, Randy had uncovered several questionable expenses, where Pastor David Love and his wife Kim had apparently been spending church donations on questionable expenses. What exactly? We're unsure. But Teresa explains that the email likely drove Pastor Love into a frenzy, so much so that he and his wife confronted Randy and Teresa there at their office on March 17th, and that the meeting took place more among friends than between spiritual guides and congregants. At least, that's what Teresa claimed. But Detective Rose Warren had another theory. He was finally ready to confront Teresa Stone with it head-on, whether she was ready to be truthful or not. I'm going to ask you a question, and you got to be honest with me, all right? But once again, I says this, we handle this very discreetly if we have to, all right? And there are people in this office, and there are people that we have talked to, all right? They don't know about them but there are people we have talked to that believe that David Love maybe has been pursuing you. Did he write this note? Once again, we're not trying to cause a church cut. We're going to keep it low profile, but if he wrote this note, because my investigators believe he would be the most likely person simply because he's been there about 10 years. He has an office. There is verbiage in this letter that indicates whoever wrote it is involved in Christianity or the church. Mm-hmm. Things like, I praise you, that type of verbiage. We don't see that too many letters unless it's folks that are involved with religion, okay? But there are a lot of indications in this letter, and what we've examined in that letter seems to point to David. And once again, we are not going to go out there and just wave a banner and cause a bunch of trouble for you. But if he wrote it, then we're going to have to talk to him about it and make sure 
that he had nothing to do with this with this death of your husband. And I think you understand we have to do that. You gotta be truthful with me, Teresa. This is very important. I'm not yeah, here he help. wrote it. Okay. I'm not here to smear him, okay? We just okay. Uh, sounds like he's been pursuing you for a while. Maybe that's why he was so mad when he found out that Randy wanted to leave the church. Was that part of the argument when, they, when he showed up there because Randy suspected? Randy suspected? No. That he was chasing you around? No, I don't think so. No, that had nothing to do with it. Okay. You just want no. to see if you're... No, Randy and I were ready to just move on. Mm -hmm. Sound like you needed to. We were ready to go. Mm -hmm. I mean, I hear all these good things about the pastor, but the pastor is a human being, okay? And I think <laughs> these things happen, Teresa. They happen. Nobody's saying it's your fault, okay? Okay. I haven't done anything. <laughs> I'm not saying you have. Trust me, all right? But. Um, Yeah, I, just but I, want to I just don't want to hurt him. Well, I know you don't want to hurt him. And we don't want to hurt him either. Not over something like this. But if he wrote the note, then we have to talk to him. Okay? <laughs> we have to find out where he was at. And if he had any, if we suspect he had anything to do with this. I know. Okay. I'm going to ask you another hard question. Okay. Is there any chance that, that, that David Lowe had anything to do with your with your husband's death? Do you think he's capable of it? No. You think, has he ever said anything to you that would make you think, well, I no. can't believe he said that. Okay. No, it's, no. Okay, he would not be involved in this. No, absolutely not. Okay. Detective Rose Warren thanks Teresa for being truthful about who wrote the note, finally revealing that it was actually Pastor David Love. He then asks Teresa not to let Pastor Love know what they had talked about, not to tip him off to the fact that she had confessed to police that he was the one who actually wrote the note she had torn up and thrown in the trash can just days before her husband Randy was killed. She reiterates what she said before, that the note must have been written sometime in the past two to three years. And then she suddenly comes up with a more specific date for Detective Rosenwarn. Must have been December of 2008. Again, she tries separating herself and her inappropriate relationship with the pastor by at least a few years from the date of Randy's murder. But remember that note references nine years ago in my office. And when you know it, Pastor David Love has only been with New Hope Baptist Church for just under 10 years, meaning that that note was most likely written sometime within the three months immediately preceding Randy's murder, because Teresa Stone was born on December 6th, once again, she was caught in a bold-faced lie, but Detective Rose Warren already knew that. You see, he was skillfully peeling back the layers of Teresa's bullshit onion and working his way deeper toward the truth through her fake tears. I think Pastor's probably infatuated. That would be the only explanation why he would come down here and cause so much trouble for me. I know, he shocked me. He shocked me and Randy both. Was his wife there? She came say, later. She came later. So she didn't but, see the bad part? No. She didn't uh -uh. see the ugly part? Mm-mm. Okay. No. 
The working theory at this point is that Teresa's overzealous pastor didn't confront her husband with all of her supposed transgressions on March 17th as a means of offering up some type of confrontational spiritual counseling to the pair. Now, Pastor Love confronted Randy with Teresa's wrongdoings because Randy was now planning to leave the church along with his family, and that included Teresa. Detectives believed Pastor Love was most likely overcome with a jealous rage at that point and was willing to do just about anything to get Randy to leave Teresa so he could have her all to himself. Pastor Love allegedly confronted Randy with the truth that night at the office, explaining that Teresa not only had a more, shall we say, mutual connection with that Kansas City police officer she claimed forced himself on her, but that she also had inappropriate physical contact with another member of the church on several occasions. And in the words of only the most skilled television pitchmen, but wait, there's more. You ever heard of a track phone? Mm-hmm. You know what it is? Mm-hmm. What's a track phone? Mm-hmm. Well, my one of my best friends had one. Who's that? Uh, Christina Holcamp. Christina? Mm-hmm. I think their whole family is a... Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Now, track generally, you buy them at, like, convenience stores. You buy them at um, Walmarts and stuff. But the reason people don't like track phones is because, basically, it's like you don't have to sign a contract or anything. You can pick it up, just buy little calling cards, mm-hmm. and just buy whatever minutes you want. So they're real convenient and they're inexpensive. And if you get tired of it or something, you can just toss it. So, mm-hmm. all right. Now, I'm going to ask you, do you recognize that phone number? Yes. What phone number is that? Or who, who has that phone number? Um, it was the number that he had for a phone. Who's he? David? Mm-hmm. David Love? Mm-hmm. Okay. And how long did he have that number? Oh, I don't know. Okay, so that's David Love's phone? Has he, um, well, yeah. what was it? It's this number. What do you know about the phone as far as this? You just know? I just know he had one. You just know he had one? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and he used to, well, I know he, he used to call, was that like his primary phone or what was the no. deal with that? It was a phone that he had got so he could call me. Okay, so this was kind of like a covert type phone, so yeah. because he's married. Yeah. Okay, all right. Thank you. That... And he knew I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, uh, let me ask you this. Do you recognize that phone number? No, I don't. Are you sure? I'm positive. Hmm. Does bell to you? Might have been another one that he had. Okay. I only saw the number just a couple of times. Okay. On my phone. Okay. Has he ever given you either one of these phones to carry? Yeah. Which one? Um. Oh gosh. Um. That well, one. Well, here's what we know. We know that this one has been in operation since like August of '09. It's, mm-hmm. it's been around a while. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like um, he's. 
And there's hundreds and hundreds of phone calls on this one, and a bunch of them were to you. Okay. Uh, so, now this one was actually only purchased a few weeks before Randy's death. Really? Yeah. So this one, uh, we're trying to figure out who would be carrying that. Unless he got another one and I didn't know about it. Okay. Um, and that is the honest truth. I don't know. That's fine. Did you ever have this phone with you, like, within a week or so of Randy's death? No, I actually got rid of it. Let's see. I don't remember when I got rid of it. What, what do you mean by got rid of it? What, what do you mean by that? Um... You mean like gave it to I somebody? I think no. I I thought I gave it back to, to him. You think you gave it back to him? Well, I just kind of left it and told him to do whatever he wanted to with it because okay. I didn't want to have it anymore. Okay, that's what I did. Okay. That's actually a lie, but once again, Detective Rose Warren already knows that. Remember, they have over two dozen of Independence, Missouri's finest working this case including now several federal agents who are piecing together the digital forensic trail of their relationship. They have literally left no stone unturned in their investigation into Teresa Stone. It's unironic. The only problem with Pastor David Love and Teresa's plan to communicate secretly on otherwise untraceable phones is that this type of plan only works when the phones are purchased using cash, in otherwise nondescript locations without surveillance cameras, and not at the local Kmart or, say, through your existing phone company. Oh, I don't know, using church or business credit cards. But more on that in a second. Of course, this is all from the telephone company, okay? We're going to talk about this phone, all right? This is the 217 phone, okay? Mm -hmm. Same phone. Mm -hmm. This phone, since March the 18th, that's when the phone was turned on. That was only a couple of weeks before Randy was killed. Okay, from March 18th to the to the day that Randy died, this phone actually called this phone 286 times. Now, some of those, of course, are not actual conversations. Sometimes you call somebody and nobody answers, or something like that. But this phone actually communicated. These phones communicated with each other in one fashion or another that many times in just a couple of weeks, okay? Wow. We also know that this phone calls Centerpoint Hospital the main number three times and your own room number four times while you were in hospital. Really? So whoever's got this phone number actually called you from this phone to the hospital. Do you know who that would have been? Well, I never talked to anybody that I didn't know. Well, of course, but... Did David call you? Um. Call you in the hospital? Yeah, he called okay. me to let me know him and his wife were okay. on their way up. Now, they're calling the main line, so I know you don't have, like, numbers not, probably not going to pop up on the phone at the hospital mm -hmm. and tell you what number it's coming from. But, uh, obviously, um, I mean, you, you're you not, know this number, right? Uh, yes. Whose number is That's that? That's my home number. Okay. This phone called your house about four times, and... And, uh, and then called, actually, your cell phone number. Now, I know you didn't have 19 conversations, but there was contact between this phone and your, your cell phone about 19 times, okay? 
anything. So, uh, my investigators, being investigators that they are, mm -hmm. established a pattern. And the pattern that they established was it appears that these phone calls from this phone would generally be calling you when Randy would not be, uh -huh. be around. Uh -huh. For example, we know about what time Randy would go to the office or what time you would go to the office uh -huh. and so forth or what time Randy would probably be at the office when you were in the hospital. Uh -huh. So we kind of figured if this was past your love, then probably he was using this phone to call you. Does that make sense? Would you agree or disagree with that? Um, I would probably agree because but if I have a call that comes up withheld, mm -hmm. I don't usually answer it. Okay. Just like that phone call that just came on my phone call, my mm -hmm. phone a while ago, it was a withheld number. Sure. Okay. I don't usually answer them. But what we need to know from you tonight, we need to know is do you know who's got that phone or who's been using that phone? Like I said, unless he got another phone. I am. Uh, I I can't tell you unless unless he got another phone and did not tell me about it. I can't okay. honestly tell you that. Okay. I honestly cannot. Has that number ever popped up on your private cell phone? That I said they may not. No. They may not say withheld all the time, but um, did, has that number ever popped up on your cell phone? No. What about the phone in your office? No. Okay. Um, have you ever had this phone? Like I said, you can see 286 times. I see that. Have you ever had this phone and saw this number pop up on this phone? No. Most numbers that called from that phone were private mm -hmm. or from, unknown or something. From this phone? Yes. So, um, I, I don't think so. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be honest with you here. I'm sorry. I don't, and it might have, and I just don't remember. Okay. Uh, back here on this phone here, the 739 phone. Mm -hmm. uh, this number is, that's your cell phone number, right? Oh, cow. Five from August of 09 to March 31st, 521 times. Is that David Love calling you? I'm trying to get a hold of you. Probably. I'm trying to get hold of him. Okay. Uh, what number is this? 517-1242. Have you, do you recognize that number at all? I don't. I'm sorry. Because he called that 4,500 times. Do you have any idea who that might be? Because you know David better than I do. Who would he call 4,500 times since August? I don't know. What I've number? never seen that number before. This is the only one that I really, I recognize. Okay. Okay, so this is where things get a little complicated. Pastor David Love, a consummate spiritual advisor, had in his possession at one time or another over the past year, anywhere between two and possibly up to four, in his mind, untraceable track phones. But there was one more track phone, one detectives were still trying to nail down one that was purchased and activated in the weeks immediately preceding Randy Stone's murder, one that only contacted the other track phones that were already part of Teresa and David's secret bat phone system. You ready for a little Invisible Choir exclusive here? 
a small detail that has never been reported by the media, by television shows that have covered the case, newspapers, or anyone for that matter. Well, here goes. Teresa Stone purchased a track phone the evening of March 4, 2010 at 7.22 p.m. at the big Kmart store on East Highway 24 in Independence, Missouri, along with a CoverGirl Cheekers blush, an NYC brand lip gloss, and an extra-large bag of M&Ms. You literally can't make this stuff up. But to add insult to injury, Teresa Stone didn't use cash and a disguise to make the purchase. She used a Bank of America business debit card, issued in her name under the Randy Stone Insurance Agency. She must have been planning to deduct the M&M's lip gloss and blush under the allowable marketing expenses for the business, because she was putting on one hell of a face for Detective Rose Warren. But again, Teresa came up with an explanation for the 4,500 individual phone calls detectives pieced together as part of this secret phone network between August of 2009 and March 31st, 2010, the very day Randy was murdered. Even by our most conservative estimates, by the way, this averages out to 18.6 calls per day every single day between August and the end of March. The reason why... The main reason why we have these track phones mm -hmm. is because he was counseling me through this time with Randy. Okay. It wasn't that I was, I was trying to hide anything. And I don't think David was either, but because it looked awkward mm -hmm. with him counseling me over Randy's stuff. Okay. Um, he thought that it would be easier to do that. Okay. I didn't like the idea. At all. Um, I want to talk about this just a few, a few minutes. I want to know how long did you carry this phone? When did you carry it? When did you get rid of it? I mean, try to try to make me understand here. He purchased it in August of, of last year. Yeah, I see that. About when do you think you actually he handed it off to you so that you so that you would have the phone? Oh, I. Just, just, I mean, like, was it last year, this year? Oh, no. Um, I just, I just, he just gave it to me. Okay, but about when? Oh, let me, let me think here. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know what? I don't know. It wasn't it was, last year. No. Was it in 09? No. Okay. No, I believe it was. I would believe it was after the first year okay. this year. Okay. Because I think he had that. He had that phone for a long time. Well, since August, at least since August. Yeah. August of yeah, he had that. Okay. Yeah, I know he had that one because he told me he did. What uh, and why did he give you this? Because you have a cell phone. I know, but so I could communicate with him, I guess, if I needed to talk to him about Randy. Okay. And so, couldn't, you, couldn't you call him on your cell phone? No, I don't do that. <laughs> uh, okay. Because I didn't want Randy to find out. You guys have billing, and you can yeah. see every call that's mm -hmm. made. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. Um. Uh, 
Now tell me how long how long do you think you carried this phone? Did um, you carry it like twenty four seven or did No. Uh, well that work? Um well I mean I had it with me all the time. Mm-hmm. Um So you had it twenty four seven? Pretty much, right? yeah. So how how many weeks, months or what have you did you have it? Before well, I mean, before I, you I, got rid of it. Oh, um I can't remember when I gave it back to him. I'm thinking I just I just gave it back to him just like maybe a month or so ago because that's mm-hmm. when I decided that I didn't I didn't want to so about do the, it anymore. About the middle of March. Now? March. Mm-hmm. It seems here, at least according to Teresa, that. Pastor David Love may have been spiritually advising other women in the church from August through about February. But we can't say that for certain because Teresa has proven herself by this point a pathological liar. And people generally don't lie about seemingly every small detail unless they have something big to hide. You don't think... You don't think he would have done anything like this, do you? What do you think? I don't think so. Do you think that somebody would do it on his behalf? No. Okay. Well, here is the problem, Teresa. The problem is, is that you can see all these phone calls from August to March. Mm-hmm. And you can see on this phone... Now, these are not all the calls that were on this phone, but you can see, you know... It was pretty active from mm-hmm. March to March 18th to the mm-hmm. 31st. Mm-hmm. I said, we only put the calls that kind of pertain to you. There's some other calls. I understand. Um, within a few hours after Randy was killed, these phones ceased to exist along with that gun. These phones no longer operate. Really? These phones were gotten rid of. Right after Randy was killed. These phones were involved in your husband's murder. The phones and the block disappeared. And that's not a coincidence. The people that were using these phones were involved in Randy's death. And that's going to be a fact. There's no way. We ping them, they won't ping. We call them, don't work. Nobody's made a phone call on any of these two telephones since a couple hours after Randy's death. There's no way. Did you have this phone on you the afternoon? No. Okay. I did not. Okay. Because... Cell phones are a wonderful thing for law enforcement these days, okay? I understand. You came from your house down Truman Road to the bank mm-hmm. at approximately approximately 16 or 4.35 or so, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Somebody with this phone was driving down Truman Road and used this phone to check a voicemail coming down Truman Road at the same time you were coming down Truman Road. Because it hit that cell phone tower just right out here next to the police station. 
whoever had this phone, and that maybe is just a coincidence, but whoever's, this phone actually made a phone call from this general area, and it was at the same time that you were coming down Sherman Road. If you check, if you had this phone on that afternoon, and you, and you dialed a voicemail to check a voicemail on this phone, it hit, because we've got a map to show it. But I didn't have that phone. Was somebody following you? That would have had that phone? Were you tra traveling in tandem with somebody, or somebody was behind you that would have had that phone and made a phone call? Not that I know of. I mean, I didn't notice him or any anyone that I... Was anybody, anybody, who else used this phone besides you and Dave that you know of? Just me and him, as far as I know. Just you and him? Yes. Any of his kids? No. Shelton or anybody? I don't think they know anything about it. You don't think they do? No. Um, Not that I know of. I mean, because he told me that it was just, he just wanted a way to communicate with me. Mm -hmm. And that's all he said. But what about that note? A note which references an affair that has been going on not since August of 2009, but since the very early days of Pastor David Love's arrival as the new leader of the New Hope Baptist Church nearly 10 years before. Despite all of the evidence Detective Rose Warren provides her, Teresa still sits in that chair directly across from him and lies over and over and over again. But he wears her down over the course of the next several hours and systematically breaks down each and every key detail that he knows she's either deliberately misrepresented or omitted entirely from her recollection of events. So we're done listening to Teresa's fantastical audition for the talented Mr. Ripley, and instead we're going to skip right to the good parts, when Detective Rose Warren provides her the obvious, that they have already gathered enough evidence which suggests she actively played a role in planning her husband Randy's murder, and that Pastor David Love was the trigger man. I cannot believe this. I seriously cannot believe this. It's true, Teresa. No. I have the receipt from my chiropractor's office. I have the receipt from J.C. Penney's. I have everything. I was with my daughter. I picked her up from school. I went home. My parents were there. Are you kidding me? Well, now, the detectives came over to your house to look for that gun to see if there might be a gun box or something. I've read the report and I've talked to them, and they said that you did about everything that you could think of to try to keep them from finding that box. I did not. They did not talk to me. They said if it wasn't for Michael, they would never got that box. They didn't talk to me about anything. Well, they said Michael came up there. Michael thought that the, the gun box might be under y'all's bed. He Michael, under and Michael knows more about that gun stuff than I do. I don't. I don't know what Randy does with it. I am. I am. I swear to you. Give me a stack of Bibles, and I will swear to you. I don't know anything about Randy's guns. Michael and Randy did all that stuff. They never shared any of that stuff with me. Teresa begins hitting her fist on the table when confronted with the obvious. The police already know she had something to do with Randy's murder. And not only that, that she has been working to actively obstruct their investigation to protect Pastor David Love. 
When detectives were granted a voluntary search of the Stone family residence shortly after Randy was killed, they attempted to secure some type of firearm box, protective case, or any paperwork that Randy may have had for that missing 40 caliber Glock. Because if he would have sold that firearm as Teresa claimed, he most certainly would have sold those peripheral items along with it. And just when they were about to search under Randy and Teresa's bed, Teresa repeatedly insisted there was nothing of the sort located under their bed, and instead requested they continue their search elsewhere in the home. Being respectful of the boundaries, and the fact that the search was voluntary, they were about to do just that. Until Randy and Teresa's son Michael came into the room and redirected them under the bed, because he knew the gun case, paperwork, and extra shells were all stored in that exact spot. But wait, there's more. Police got the results back on those shell casings from Teresa's parents' farm, the one where Randy used to take his 40 caliber Glock handgun for target practice. When compared to the lone 40 caliber shell casing left at the crime scene, the ones recovered at the farm were an exact match. It turns out Randy Stone had in fact been executed with his own gun, just as detectives suspected early on. They tell you that. They tell you we know exactly what time your husband died. Because we have not one but two videos. We have seen the car. And we have seen the man get out of the car. Who is it? I'm not going to tell you who it is. Why not? I am telling you because I'm trying to get some truthfulness out of you. Because I'm telling you that if you don't get... If you don't sit here and tell me the truth about everything you know, I'm telling you, you're going to end up in a whole lot of trouble. More trouble than you could ever imagine. I am telling you the truth about the phones. All I know is his wife found this phone, so he had to go buy this phone. Now, I don't know if he got this phone back, and she didn't know that he got it back. I don't know. I did not talk to him on that day. I had not talked to him since that day he left our office because I was too mad. Randy and I were both too upset. So we never, we didn't talk to them or anything. We didn't talk to Brother Love, nobody. We were trying to start our lives over again and just move on because we had already gone to a new church. This was, a, this was a planned killing. No. <laughs> it was a planned, premeditated killing. Teresa was telling the truth about Pastor David Love's wife, Kim, finding at least one, if not even a second, of her husband's secret track phones, information detectives would eventually confirm with Kim Love across multiple interviews, including from this one on May 20th, 2010. But Kim also remembered one of the text messages that stuck out to her on that second track phone, one that would directly contradict Teresa Stone's eventual claims of innocence in the case. And so I was acting like I was on my computer, but I got that phone out trying to figure it out. And I saw the text where it said, um, I think the first, I think there was like six texts on there. And it was, um, I remember seeing, I love you, baby. And I remember seeing, um, I have a Tar Heel shirt on for you, which wow. made me want to throw up. I was shaking. I'm surprised you still like them. I was <laughs> shaking. Oh, I love the Tar Heels. But yeah, that did kind of make uh -huh. me, you know, think, do I even like the Tar Heels? I told my son, I said, I don't even know if I like the Tar Heels anymore. <laughs> and then, um, though, then I saw, uh, 
something about Justin is talking to Randy or Randy, something about Randy and Justin had talked and Randy's leaving the church. I remember, I don't know how all that said, but in that same text it said, I wish the Lord would come and take him away. And then it's, I can't, the part I can't remember is I wish he were dead or I want him dead, but it was something like that. But either way, it was wish or want kind yeah. of means the and, same. And, but I gave y'all the phone number of that phone. You know, that's the phone I threw away in the mall. Because mm-hmm. I thought, well, this was just a talking relationship. I, when I confronted him later on that night, I said, I found the phone. I know who you're talking to. Because I'd found the phone before, but I didn't know who, who it was. Was that the one you found in the golf bag yeah. a year ago? Yeah. the same phone? No, it wasn't the same phone. I, I had that phone, too, but I threw it away. Okay. Yeah, but, see, I never knew. He told me he was just talking to somebody as an encourager, and he don't even know who they were. And that was so dumb. No, yeah, I'm so yeah. dumb for me to believe that. So dumb. Did this one have the name programmed in, Teresa, though? I, well, she was talking about Randy. Oh. So I knew it had to be okay. Teresa then. Kim Love trusted her husband, David, and believed his repeated claims that his relationship with Teresa Love was, quote, strictly talking, and that the two were not otherwise physically or sexually involved. But Kim Love didn't just uncover the secret track phones David had hidden away, one in his golf bag and another in the garage. She also found evidence of a ring he had purchased for Teresa. After returning a gift, David had purchased for her for $50 from a local K Jewelers. While returning the gift from her husband so that she could pick out something that matched her style a little better, the store clerk gave her a copy of the original purchase receipt, and that was when she saw it. On the same day and during the very same transaction, where Pastor David Love had purchased his wife a simple $50 ring, he had purchased another ring, a much fancier silver one encased in small diamonds, for $299 for Teresa Stone. Okay. And I had just found the ring, just, or thought about, and you know, got the ring receipt, mm-hmm. just probably a week before this phone, or not. not Was this all mid March? Yes. When all this. So comes. then I knew she, so I bluffed my way through the ring thing when I talked to him that night about the phone. Mm-hmm. I, I said, we need to go for a ride because I didn't want my kids to, well, Shelton was the only one, you know, at home. I said, um, I don't want the kids to hear me talking about, I need to talk to you about something. And I'm pretty sure he probably thought by then, he hadn't even gone downstairs to look to see if the phone was mm-hmm. missing, but I bet he started thinking. Anyway, we went and we just parked at the church. And so I just said, I know everything. I said, I know about the phone. I know about the ring. I didn't know about the ring, but I told him I knew about the ring. And so he told me that, yeah, he had gotten her a ring. He said, I only, he told me that the reason he ought her a ring, she was starting to, um, I guess, see somebody else. Yeah. And he was trying to keep her close. Right. And not tell. He said his whole thing through this thing has been to her not to tell about the affair mm-hmm. and so do you know, remember any other messages from that phone that was all there wasn't very many because they deleted he told me that it was like they always deleted everything okay. they ever said to each other they, what did that phone look like if you can remember uh, your best description of it, it was a track phone and it was a little black i think it was black okay despite all of the warning signs the ominous text messages about wanting her husband dead the professions of love and the ring. Kim Love never once contacted law enforcement. Not in the two weeks before Randy was murdered when she joined her husband during the March 17th confrontation at the Randy Stone insurance offices, and not after Teresa Stone had found her husband Randy murdered in cold blood. Back in the small interrogation room, Teresa Stone's world was crumbling around her. That's here she begins finally cracking on April 20th, 2010 revealing the true nature and extent of her relationship 
with Pastor David Love. I just don't want this to get out to anybody. Shane, we're not going to wave red flags and tell the world, okay? I already, Teresa, I already know what you're going to say, but I have to hear it from you. I have to hear it from you. when he started pursuing you. No? And I'm sure, and I've, I've talked to him, and I've talked to a bunch of other people, and they say that man can really be convincing. I mean, he is slick. And I know, my husband has said the same thing. Yeah, he used his skills to be able, once again, to turn you away from, from your values and what means the most to you. And he did that. How long has this been going on? Uh, Ten years. Okay. It was around this time in the interrogation, unbeknownst to either Teresa Stone or Detective Rose Warren, that a crowd had gathered in a nearby conference room to watch the interview. A crowd complete with other detectives who were assigned the case, the chief of police, and even prosecutors who were diligently piecing together evidence to eventually file charges. Teresa explains that Pastor Love wouldn't take it well every time she tried to end their on-again, off-again secret relationship of 10 years, that he was unhappy with her decision. She then claims that she tried to end it August of last year. Incidentally, the very same time he first purchased the track phones and initiated their secret line of communication. She explains he just, quote, sort of slid in there again and just made her feel bad about her decision to end their relationship. But then Detective Rose Warren confronts her with another small detail, one up until now she has completely neglected to mention. Um, was there ever a time when you became pregnant with David's child? Because I think you did. Huh. <clears throat> Yeah. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was about six years ago, actually. What happened to the baby? I miscarried. Okay. Did anybody know about that except you and David? About me being pregnant? Mm -hmm. Oh, no, Randy knew about it. Okay. He knew about it. Okay. You got to clear this up, because as far as I know, I don't know if it's true or not. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um. Had Randy had a vasectomy at some point? Mm -hmm. Was this before you got pregnant? Mm -hmm. Okay. How did that go over? Or how was that explained? Um, 
Because we went to the doctors, and the doctors um, told us that um, it happens a lot. Okay. So, okay, so you just figured it's a malfunction from yeah. the board, lack of a better and we word. Had, right? I, we had a couple clients who had happened to them. Okay. So, um, How did David take it? I guess he knew. What did he think? Did he know? Oh, yeah, he knew. How did he take that news? Well, he was kind of shocked. He didn't, didn't see how it happened, but mm-hmm. um, I don't see how it happened either. But okay. And in that situation, all I can say is that God spared me that day. You mean the miscarriage? Mm-hmm. Okay, so a couple of things here. Barring any sort of other medical intervention, pregnancy happens when a man inserts his penis into a woman's, well, you probably all know how that goes. Teresa claims that Randy believed the entire thing was a miracle, that his previous vasectomy had failed, and as doctors allegedly told them, at least according to Teresa, this sort of thing happens a lot. But it doesn't happen a lot. On average, vasectomies fail an estimated one to two times for every 1,000 times the procedure is performed. That's a failure rate of just over 0.1%, which most mathematicians would call a relative rarity. But I'm no mathematician, though I can do simple math. If Teresa had fallen pregnant back in 2004 and into early 2005, and Randy had quietly removed her as the primary beneficiary on his life insurance policies, Back in, what was it again? Oh yeah, 2005. No matter how desperately Teresa tried to convince her faithful and loyal husband Randy that her pregnancy was a miracle delivered straight from the heavens, he wasn't stupid, as Teresa had made him out to be, and he clearly had his suspicions. In fact, in 2008, he confided in a fellow church congregant that he suspected his wife Teresa was engaging in an illicit affair with Pastor David Love, head of the church. According to those who were familiar with that conversation, the church member Randy told about his suspicions warned Randy to be careful about who he shared those observations with because, quote, that's a life-changing accusation for a pastor. The interview continues on, and Teresa, at the behest of Detective Rose Warren, slowly and painfully admits to one startling revelation after another. She admits that not only did she not give the track phone back to Pastor Love weeks before Randy was killed, as she had just claimed, that she had it on her the very day of the murder, and that she only disposed of it at a nearby rent-a-car store after Pastor David Love's wife Kim, who was one of the first on scene that day to support Teresa, despite already knowing about her husband and Teresa's affair, agreed to take her to the nearest business so she could use the restroom. Teresa also admitted that Pastor David Love had sent her a warning text message the day Randy was killed, as she was making her way back to the office suite so they could work that night. A message that allegedly read, Seriously urgent. Do not go back to the office by yourself. No matter how hard Detective Rose Warren and eventually another detective tried, they were never able to get Teresa to admit to the fact that at some point, she helped David Love acquire Randy's 40 caliber Glock handgun, their theory being that she either retrieved it herself the morning of the murder from Randy's briefcase and then gave it to David, 
or that she had provided Pastor Love the garage code and gun safe combination in the days immediately preceding Randy's death. Teresa also admitted that David Love, who was also one of the first people to show up at Randy's office that day after news began spreading of his murder, quietly told her to get rid of the track phone immediately and to tell police that Randy had sold the Glock handgun three months before. Then, in the days immediately following Randy's murder, he told Teresa what really happened in the office that day on March 31st, while both of them stood in Teresa and Randy's bedroom back at the Stone family residence. Did he tell you when he went in there? Did, did he tell you what happened? Yes. What did he say? And if this is probably, of all the things we've talked about, this is probably the most important. What did he say happened? You know, want to know? You want to know what I told him? Yeah. I told him, I said, this is not the way God wanted it to be. When is this conversation? The day after? In your room? Okay. I was, I was so mad at him. And you told him that? I was. It's not what, yes, if God, because you told him already. If God wanted us together, we would be together. Okay? And then what did you tell him? I told him, I said, I think I literally told him I hated him. Mm-hmm. I told him not to touch me. And he kept telling me it was going to be fine. He kept telling me everything was going to be fine. Okay. And then what else was said? He told me he didn't even see it coming. Said that to you? Yes, he did. Did he say how it happened? He just said he didn't see it coming. <laughs> did he? Did he say that he did it? No, he didn't come out and say that he did it. Okay. He just said, <laughs> "Oh my God." Teresa, we're just going to finish this. I'm going to get you some water or something, okay? But we need to finish this little part up, okay? What else was said in that room? That was it. What did, when he says he never saw it coming, what did you say? I looked at him and I was like, what? What are you talking about? And then that's what he told me that um, he said he he said he walked in the office and he just aimed and didn't even look. He said he did that? That's what he told me. So he said he pulled the trigger? That's what he told me. He, he said he just aimed and didn't even look. He just did it. Again, with the lies. If Pastor David Love only just then told Teresa about his horrific misdeeds the day after killing Randy Stone, in the quiet of her and Randy's bedroom while other friends and family consoled one another just a few steps away, 
then why in the fuck would she invite this man to then preside over her husband's funeral and to give his eulogy? Because though she claimed otherwise, Teresa somehow convinced herself that Randy's murder at the hands of spiritual guide and pleasure pumper Pastor David Love actually was God's will, a sentiment she shared directly with Pastor Love in the text message exchanges that his wife Kim found in the weeks preceding Randy's murder, but also a sentiment she openly shared with another friend of both her and David's, another pastor named David Trump from North Carolina. Pastor Trump would later connect with Independence, Missouri homicide detectives after both Teresa and David Love contacted him in the days immediately following Randy's murder. One thing he found odd about each of those separate interactions was that both David and Teresa, during entirely separate phone calls, gave him very detailed and specific rundowns of their schedules from March 31st, complete with oddly specific times and all, a move which he believed was their way of trying to establish clear alibis early on in the murder investigation. So he did what any good pastor does— he began secretly recording his interactions with Teresa Stone. And for a woman who allegedly begged Pastor David Love not to kill her husband Randy because, quote, we have to leave it in God's hands, it sure seemed part of God's will that her husband was murdered because, well, that's exactly the way she phrased it during a covertly recorded phone call with Pastor Trump on May 17, 2010, a call that we obtained during our investigation into this case. The only thing that I can say for Trump is just, is God allowed it to happen because there's no way it would have happened unless God had his hand in it because there's just no way it would have happened because Randy wouldn't have allowed it to happen. Oh, I know that. So all, all I can figure is that uh, it was all in God's plan. I don't understand why, but well, I, there's just boy, I, no way. I don't know about that one. That one really stretches my theology a little bit. I mean, David made that. I know. You know, David made that choice to end his life, and, and I, I know. And um, uh, that just that that's what blows my mind. You know, all sarcasm and well, I guess facts aside, there is something called spiritual abuse. I would be remiss not to mention at some point during this episode. Spiritual abuse, of course, occurs when someone exerts power and control over another, say a congregation member using religion, faith, or beliefs. And though some are admittedly skeptical around houses of worship, because it seems a good God-fearing Christian can rationalize just about anything using scripture or Bible verses, including murder, it appears that's exactly what Pastor David Love did. He kept throwing Bible verses mm-hmm. up at me. And what other uh, Bible characters did in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And how they murdered and God still blessed them and stuff like that. And I was like, and I kept telling him, I'm like, that was then. This is now. Mm-hmm. God is the one that's in control, not us. We have no control over that. Did he did he use the word murder? No. What did he say? I mean He never he never said anything. He just he just when he would when we would have the conversation, he would just say that he, he could take care of it. 
And what did that and mean to you? He would take care of it if I wanted him to. And I said, leave it alone. Okay. God will take care of it. What do you think he meant by that when he said, I can take care of it? Yeah, so what, I don't, what do you I, think he meant? I don't know. Did you ask him what do you mean by that? Well, yeah. Yeah, what did he say? Well, he kept, re- he kept referring to... Um, What do you say, Teresa? He just kept referring to Randy's guns. Now, Teresa would claim that these two things never came up during the same conversation. That Pastor David Love said he could, quote, take care of Randy. And that, quote, I know about Randy's guns. Again, she's actively distancing herself here from the possibility that she in some way played an active role in helping to make these things happen for David Love to give him whatever information, combination, garage code, or the gun itself he needed to kill her husband, Randy. But this wasn't something that had just come up in conversation once or twice. It had come up often in the weeks and months preceding Randy's murder. And each time they had this discussion, it represented an opportunity that Teresa Stone, who was still desperately trying to present herself as some type of victim in this case, missed out on. Because... When it came up, she could have told just about anyone, or even called the police herself, but she never did. Had she made one single phone call, Randy Stone would likely be alive today, but he is not. How many conversations would you say in the last couple of months, or if you have to go back further, that's fine, but within the last couple of months, how many times did this type of conversation come up between you and, and David Love, the way you're talking about Randy and taking care of things and maybe you guys being together and guns. I mean, how many different times did this come up that you can remember? I, you know, I honestly don't know. I know it's, it it came up more within the last couple of months. Okay. Are we talking more than 10? No, no. Less than five? Five, six, maybe Mm -hmm. something like that. Where would the conversations take place at? Where would they take Mm -hmm. place at? Um, Mainly on the phones, I guess. Okay, so these are telephone conversations. Yeah. They're not face-to-face? No, I hardly ever saw him face-to-face that much. Within the last couple of months? Yes. Pastor David Love would tell Teresa stories about the biblical King David of Israel, who, after seeing Bathsheba bathing on a rooftop, had his guards bring her to him for his own pleasure, though she was married at the time to Uriah. Bathsheba fell pregnant with King David's child, and King David, desperate to be with her, had Uriah sent to the front lines in battle, effectively to his planned death, so that he could one day marry Bathsheba. Their first child died, supposedly due to the couple's infidelity, a cruel but necessary punishment from God. Sound familiar yet? The similarities between King David's story and the one now unfolding around Pastor David were undeniable, very much in the same way Pastor David and Teresa Stone's first child had died due to miscarriage. 
In King David's story, there was the eventual planned marriage, Bathsheba eventually becoming King David's wife. But in Pastor David's story, Teresa would eventually become the so-called pastor's wife. It was their destiny, and it most certainly must have been God's will. You call him pastor. You've always called him pastor? Yeah. What about when you're, you know, when it's just the two of you, when you're married and you're... When we're together? Yeah. What do you call him? I call him David. Mm -hmm. What does he call you? Teresa. Do you recall My you? wife. My wife. Mm -hmm. Okay, there you go. Because it is mine, you were his wife. You just had to get rid of your husband. One person can only feign ignorance for so long when presented with all of the evidence. There was the 10-year affair, the sex, the phones, the ring, the 4,500 phone calls. There was talk of Randy's guns and King David as the prime example, at least in the Bible, how God not only accepts but blesses those who murder. But Pastor David Love wasn't as pure a spiritual leader as Teresa made him out to be. He was actually a bit of a pervert, as was demonstrated when she finally walked detectives through that note, the one with all of the coded initials scribbled at the bottom, one she had torn up and thrown away in the trash can just feet away from where Randy's dead body would ultimately lay. This one I've never understood. What is HP? HP means... Honeymoon in Paris. M E M E M M T means marry me, Teresa. Okay, G D B. I don't know what that means. I I I don't know what this means. What about all these L Y P? No, I don't know. L-Y-P. I'm pretty sure I know what that means. Okay. Do you want me to say it? Yeah. Lick your pussy. Okay. Okay. R-O-E. 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 I don't know. R. I think this man get dig big. Okay. I could be wrong, but that's what I would get out of that. Okay. This one, I just, I don't know. Clearly, some type of plan had been set into motion, a plan that Teresa was at least peripherally aware of to kill Randy. The extent of her actual involvement in terms of getting Pastor Love Randy's gun, we may never fully know. But what then? What came after Randy was out of the picture? Well, they still somehow had to get rid of Pastor David's wife, Kim. And wouldn't you know it, Pastor Love had a plan for that pesky little to-do item as well. Did he ever, did he ever joke about or talk about how he was going to get rid of his wife? Um, yeah. Oh. Well, he never joked about it. How did he talk about it? Um... Oh my goodness. Um, first time he talked about it is he said that um, he wished he could just um, break her neck and put her in her car and send her over a cliff. 
Um, let's see. What else did he say? He said one time when they were out on a trip that he thought about um, rolling his car and trying to make it look like, you know, her neck broke in the rolling of the car or something like that. How recent were these conversations? Uh, that one about rolling the car, that was last year. Mm-hmm. Um, this other one, um, well, he's mentioned that one a couple of times, you know, within the last two, three months, probably. Teresa Stone was then informed that she was being formally detained under suspicion of conspiracy to commit murder. But before being ushered off to a jail cell for the rest of the morning, detectives encouraged her to take part in a controlled, recorded phone call with Pastor David Love. At this point, it's nearly one o'clock in the morning, and they've already tried convincing Teresa that David is and has been in custody, and that he's been squealing like a pig, telling them everything. But they come clean and inform her that he has not yet been brought in, and she's on board with the call, but not before suddenly claiming that she feels faint and that she needs to use the restroom. Remember, Teresa hasn't yet been searched as she's come in voluntarily to speak to detectives. So whether or not she had that other secret track phone on her person, the one she bought at Kmart using the business debit card, is unknown, but she's accompanied to the bathroom anyhow where if she had that track phone, she might well have tried to tip Pastor Love off to the forthcoming recorded phone call that was about to happen. We can't say for sure, but as you know, she has a track record of lying and destroying phones and bathrooms. So after she eventually comes out, they initiate the call after a brief review of what they're planning to say. Pastor? Yes. This is Teresa. Hi. Um, we need to talk. Okay. Now? Yes, now. You want me to come over? Um, uh, you can't talk now on the phone? I can, yes. I know what you meant. I can't do this anymore. I can't, I cannot live like this. Okay. I just, I just can't do this. You've got to do something. I'm sorry, my phone faded. What what did you say? I said you have to do something. I can't live like this anymore. This is just killing me. Okay. Who's who's there with you now? Are you home? Yes, I'm with Miranda and my parents. At some point, Pastor David Love's wife, Kim, rolls over as they're in bed. She realizes her husband is talking to Teresa Stone. The couple has literally just finished making love minutes before, and she's wondering why this woman is now calling her husband after midnight and asking him to talk. 
Would you tell Kim? No. I need to talk to you. I need to know. You need to know? I need to know. I need to know everything. Kim is asking what you need to know. I need to know why you did this. I need to know why you did this to me. Okay, what? Can you go someplace else, please? I need to talk to you alone. Can I come over there? No. David leans over and informs his wife, Kim, that Teresa needs him to go somewhere private so just the two of them can talk. Remember, by this point, Kim is already aware of their history together. So there's no way she's letting David head out to meet up with his former mistress in the middle of the night. At least, not alone. She's going to go with him, but not before jumping on the call herself to confront Teresa directly. And within just a few seconds of her joining the conversation, it's clear. Kim Love already has some suspicions of her own of what's going on. Teresa? Yes. Teresa? This is Kim. What's going on? I need to talk to David. Well, just tell me what's going on. I need to talk to him now. Okay, that's fine. And we can talk and all that. But just tell me why you, why you, do you think you did something? You know he did something? Can you just get out of the house? I just need to talk to him. Well, just tell me. I'm here. Just tell us. Tell us both what's going on. I need to talk to him. What do you think he did? Do you know something he did? I need him to come out of the house. I need to talk to him alone. Where are you? I'm at home. I just need to talk to him by himself. Why do you need to talk to him without me? I, I should know everything that's going on anyway. You think he did something to Randy? I need to talk to him, please. I need to talk to him alone. Please do this for me. I just need to talk to him, please. Well, here he is. Teresa, I'm not sure that she's going to let me come alone. 
it's, it's stupid if y'all think that I'm going to let y'all come along without telling me. This is dumb. Teresa, I'm not trying to be mean, but this is dumb. This is, uh, he's my husband. Trust you? With all what you've already done? Teresa, what do you want with David? What do you want with my husband? Just tell me what you want. Teresa panics in the moment, and Detective Rose Warren signals her to hang up the phone. David and Kim Love are readying themselves to leave and head straight over to Teresa's house, but they won't ever make it there. Independence police have had David Love's home and his family under 24-hour surveillance for weeks, and they initiate a traffic stop just moments after he and Kim depart the residence. David Love is quickly brought into a small interrogation room for questioning himself, but only after a brief pre-planned chance encounter in the hallway. The detectives have coordinated while they escort Teresa to a nearby jail cell. Teresa and David cross paths accidentally, at least that's how it appears to David, and Teresa mutters something to the effect of, I told them everything, under her breath, to which David Love allegedly responds, Don't worry. I will take care of everything. Having been informed of your rights, do you wish to talk to me? Well, I'd rather, definitely rather have a lawyer present. It's up to you. I think that would be, you know, here we are in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And so I would rather have a lawyer present. I don't have one. Okay. I'll probably get one for you. No, we have to do that. I don't know who to call. Well, the only one I would call is probably the one Teresa. Michael Dale is the only one I know. Mm-hmm. You have his number? I don't. I mean, I don't have a phone or anything with me. Okay. I, I had we can get you a phone. I had his number in my phone, but I don't have it memorized. You know? Okay. Okay. Uh, I said, if you want to, if you want to invoke your right to an attorney and not answer any of my questions, that's that's your right. That's your right well, to do that. I feel like I have to because I don't know. That's your decision, though. I don't know how to proceed in a case like this. You know. Mm-hmm. So I, why wouldn't I have an attorney? Because I don't know what I'm facing. Well, it's a murder investigation. You know that. You know it's a murder investigation, and you know we have you up here for a reason. So. I think I definitely need a, some kind of representation because I'm a preacher. I'm not a, I don't know the law. Okay. David Love lawyers up and does not utter a single word henceforward. So detectives place him under arrest. Pastor, can you stand up for me, please? Oh, yeah. Though both Teresa Stone and Pastor David Love spent the rest of the early morning hours on April 21st in jail, both were eventually released on bond because the DA needed more time to effectively prepare the case against both of them. Remember, federal agents have several phones and computers they still needed time to go through, and there were several other search warrants they now had enough probable cause to secure and execute 
in their quest for additional evidence before formally charging either with a crime. Two days later, on April 23, 2010, Pastor David Love resigned effective immediately from the New Hope Baptist Church in his role as lead pastor. The following is read verbatim from his hand-scribbled draft of the resignation letter found in his home after it was searched. It is with deepest remorse and repentance that I resign as pastor of NHBC. I have sinned against my Lord, my family, and against the Lord's church. I am resigning because of my sin of immorality. I have asked God to forgive me for sinning and deceiving my family and each of you. I ask the staff, deacons, officers, and members to receive my resignation and to forgive me of my sins. My God give you power, strength, and wisdom to take each step forward in God's will. God will provide you another pastor with God's vision for your future. Thank you for all your love for my family. I am indeed sorry for hurting you and for bringing reproach in the name of Jesus and NHBC. Signed, DKL, April 23, 2010. Though we can't say for certain the initials at the bottom of the letter, DKL, as best we can decode either stand for David K. Love or Dick Keeps on Loving. Based on David Love's track record, I think I know which one he meant. The day after Pastor Love resigned from New Hope Baptist Church, police executed the first of two search warrants at his family home, and on April 25th, allegedly at the advice of his legal counsel. He packed up his bags, left, and headed east to South Carolina. Several reports, including one published by the Kansas City Star, indicate that before abruptly leaving, he told his wife Kim to get in touch with one of his brothers if she needed to contact him for any reason at all. The rumor mill was churning after he left. Within days, just about everyone in town knew what David had allegedly done and about his inappropriate affair with Teresa Stone. The assumption was that Kim Love kicked him out of the house, so he shamefully disappeared and quietly pursued a long-haul truck driving certification out east with the help of his extended family while his fate played out with federal agents and the district attorney. But we obtained several jailhouse and other phone calls and even cell phone images in our public records request that demonstrate otherwise. David Love maintained his innocence privately to his own family, and according to everything we heard and saw, they believed him and insisted all along that it was Teresa, not David, who killed Randy Stone on March 31st, 2010. In November of 2010, David K. Love was indicted by a grand jury and, once located, was arrested, extradited back to Independence, Missouri, and formally charged with first-degree intentional homicide and armed criminal action. A year later, in November of 2011, now long-haul truck driver David Love accepted a plea deal in which he agreed to plead guilty to second-degree murder and armed criminal action for shooting and killing Randy Stone. He was sentenced to life in prison and will first be eligible for parole in the year 2036. In June of 2011, Teresa Stone was indicted and formally charged with conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. Then in April of 2012, over two years after her husband Randy Stone's execution-style murder, and on the very day that her trial was slated to begin, Teresa Stone accepted a plea deal of her own, and in exchange for reduced charges, pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit murder. She faced a maximum allowable sentence of just 10 years in prison as a condition of the agreement. 
but ultimately received just eight years. At the time of publishing this episode in 2023, Teresa Stone has already served her full prison sentence, been released, and has quietly moved on with her life. Though much new evidence has come to light over the years, the specific details surrounding the planning, commission, and cover-up of Randy Stone's murder remain largely unknown. We do know that federal agents did ultimately recover a battery of useful evidence from David Love and Teresa Stone's computers, including several email exchanges which revealed a much more mutual affair than Teresa Stone would have detectives believe during her explanation of the crimes. In January of 2009, David sent Teresa an email which read, I long for the touch of your hand as you walk by and the twinkle in your pretty blue eyes as you smile at me. You are my doll. Your encouragement is all that keeps me going. Thank you for being so wonderful, beautiful, sexy, and smart. I live to please you. I am so totally in love with you. I cannot wait to watch you walk to me knowing that we are officially about to be married publicly. I love your ideas. I love your plans. I think you can collect wedding info and file it as if you are planning for your daughter. According to the Kansas City Star's review of the records in this case, Teresa responded to David's lengthy email, which referenced their planned marriage some 15 months before Randy Stone was ultimately killed. In her response, Teresa playfully fantasized about their wedding day, explaining how she wanted an outdoor wedding with, quote, maybe a rose garden or something like that. My dress, I'm not sure. And if I find the perfect dress, you will be the first to see it. It really makes you wonder if, on the day of Randy's murder, Teresa's visit to Dress Barn may have actually had a deeper meaning and represented some type of fantasy exercise where she allowed herself to briefly think and plan her eventual marriage to David Love, where she would finally become the pastor's wife publicly, something she had been pretending all along in private for nearly 10 years. At one point, David Love had also discreetly posed for some 30, quote, intimate photographs for Teresa, images he then downloaded to his own computer, emailed to Teresa, and then deleted. At Teresa Stone's eventual sentencing hearing on June 15, 2012, her children surprisingly openly pleaded for leniency for their mother, despite the rest of the family's pleas she be put away for a longer period. They asked the judge to show her mercy for her misgivings and plotting to have their father murdered. After all, Michael and Miranda tragically had already lost their father, so understandably they didn't want to lose their mother for a long period either. A mother who secretly referred to herself as the pastor's wife in private, while carrying on a decades-long sexual affair with her spiritual leader. A mother who had been forewarned that her husband Randy had been killed at his insurance office before she even arrived that Wednesday afternoon, only then to discover his dead body. A mother who then, against all common and other sense, invited her husband's known killer, a man who serviced her spiritually and sexually, to stand at the pulpit at his funeral and give his eulogy. In the end, we know that Randy Stone was generous. According to those who knew him best, he always kept two crisp $50 bills in his pocket, with the sole intent of giving them away to someone in need. It was in his nature. He was loving, generous, and kind. Also, in a small inspirational self-help booklet that Randy kept in his most prized personal possessions, he identified Pastor David Love as the individual, quote, 
most influential to my life, a revelation that would ultimately prove unironically true when Pastor David Love murdered him in cold blood on March 31, 2010. According to several reports, Kim Love eventually divorced David Love and has since remarried. David Love also apparently continues ministering in prison and hosts regular Bible studies with other incarcerated offenders at the Jefferson City Correctional Center where he will spend at minimum the next 13 years of his life behind bars. I preach today standing between heaven and hell for you. You may have been a client of Randy's. Maybe he talked to you about going to heaven. What's the matter with you? You've not made preparation. This man's begged you to know the Lord. I'm here today preaching his funeral service saying, don't let it be in vain. You need to be saved. My friend, if you're not yet saved, you need to bow your head right now and say to the God of Randy Stone, the eternal God Almighty, God Jehovah, you need to say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. If you mean this in your heart, start praying right now. If you mean it from your heart, Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I'm a sinner. I've already made myself look bad. Well, you know what? You know, that started a long time ago. That process of unwinding started some time ago. Don't think you just began to look bad just overnight. It's a slow fade. It's a process. Mm, that's a Christian song. What? It's a slow fade. But on my, my and my husband's favorite movie. Is there a movie? Is it Fireproof? No, don't tell me you saw Fireproof. Oh, we have the movie. Don't tell me you own Fireproof. We watch it all the time. Don't tell me you and Randy stepped in and watched Fireproof. Absolutely. Okay. And cried okay. every time we watched it too. Well, what was going through your head? Teresa, what was going on in your mind? Mind is a crazy thing. Crazy place, man. And you know that. I I know. You don't think that I am ashamed of what I've done in my past? Are you kidding me? If I could do it all over again, I would change everything. And you know that. Mm -hmm. 